Well, I don't know about you, but um, over the years, I've had some wonderings. I remember as a kid having a few wonderings or mysteries, you know, things that you remember wondering about when you were a kid. Here's what I remember wondering about. I wondered how in the world Santa Claus actually made it to all the houses on time. Anyone ever wonder that? Maybe it's just me. I wondered, as I was in Barbados growing up, I wondered how could someone from the North Pole find my little country and find my house? And what if I don't have a chimney for him to come down? How's that going to work? Everyone ever wonder that? I wondered about the Easter Bunny because that story seems a little sketchy to me. Like, I'm not sure about this, but this seems a little mysterious, and I'm not sure if a bunny can actually deliver all of what it's supposed to do, and I'm curious how a bunny can do that. And just this morning, I was talking with some small people in the room here, and we were talking about the tooth fairy, and I'll be honest, I had some wonderings about the tooth fairy when I was little. Exactly how does a small little fairy find its way under my pillow and leave... I think I had a quarter that I had. Um, Anyone have more than a quarter that they got as a kid for the tooth fairy? Yeah? A dollar? You have a dollar? Five bucks? We're trying to find out what the new tooth fairy's economy is, by the way. But I've had some wonderings, right? I've had some wonderings, like, oh, how does this work? They've kind of been, in some ways, mysterious to me. And, And as I got older, I realized that, you know, there's more wonderings. I remember this as a kid, and maybe I was, I don't know, six, eight, ten years old, and and I asked my dad, who's here this morning, by the way, that we were in Barbados, and I remember him writing a check for something. He opened up the checkbook, and he wrote a check for something. And so I asked him the question, like, Dad, how much does a checkbook cost? Like, how much is it to get a checkbook? And I think I remember you saying, it's about $2. And I'm like, duh. Like, I wonder why the adults haven't figured out, like, just buy a checkbook for $2. And you can write whatever number you want on there. You know, it's amazing what a deal a checkbook is. And it was mysterious to me. Like, how else could it possibly work? Spend $2 and you can write, basically print your own money. You know, whatever you want to do. It all seemed like a mystery to me. And anyway, as I got older, of course, I learned about how some of these these things actually work. And then I realized that actually that wondering and that mystery as a kid, it's the same as adults and around the globe, too. Like we have these big wonderings, these big mysteries, like how exactly were the, uh, you know, the uh, pyramids of Egypt actually put together? You know, what actually happens to those planes in the Bermuda Triangle, right? Who really shot JFK, you know? And in the middle of all these wonderings and mysteries, what we do is we fill in the gaps of knowledge with often conspiracies, right? A lot of conspiracy theories around JFK, for example, because we want clarity, we want understanding. And so where we're confused or where there's mystery, we will fill in the gaps of whatever little pieces of information that we can find to try to make sense of our world, whether we're little, middle age, or older. We just try to try to do that. And as I got older and older, and now I'm super old for some of you and not so old for others, I began to realize that mysteries and wonderings are all um, the most important ones, if I can put it that way, are the ones that, that are most personal and deep that I experience. How does love actually work? Why is it that we experience betrayals? For some of us, we wonder, where is God when it hurts? Is there even a God around? And if so, what does he look like? What does he actually do with his time? Because it seems like if I were, maybe had a chance to counsel God, I might recommend that he do some other things with his time, based on my life experiences, or maybe based on yours. And the mysteries of life continue to come, at least I think they do. 
And this morning, as we gather together, what I want to share with you is this, is I, I believe in this series that we're in called What Jesus Really Does, that one of the amazing things that Jesus really does is that Jesus reveals to us the mystery of God. That God himself is a mystery. I would say that. He is absolutely a mystery. Anyone who thinks they can write down and clarify exactly who God is and exactly what he does, I would love to see it devoid of any question, any doubt, any misunderstanding. There's a mysteriousness to our Christian faith for sure. And one of the amazing things that Jesus actually really does is he reveals a mystery. And he reveals the mystery of God. Now here's why that's important. Here's why this is important. At least for what I believe. My experience, and maybe yours, is that when we find ourselves most confused or most hurt, most in pain or dealing with grief, we will fill in, we will fill in the unknowns and the mysteries in our relationship with God or this world. We will do things like this. Let's say you've been in pain for a number of years. Here's what you might say. Well, it's God punishing me for my past sin. Now, you might hear that. I hear that with actually great regularity in my role. Sometimes people verbalize it, sometimes they don't. And I might ask the question, is that the business that God is in? Is he in the business of keeping track of your sin and later punishing you with cancer or a divorce or loneliness or depression? Is that his business? Or does pain just come because it comes? Or maybe, 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 everything in your life is going well and someone in your own family is really not going well. And you might say, you know why it's going well? Because I've been obedient to God all these years. He's blessed me. God blesses those who obey him. And so this is how God works, right? He may curse those who are doing a bad job, but maybe he blesses me on my side. Is that how God actually works. And when we can't describe or understand how our world works, we often attribute some things to God. And it's very important, in my opinion, to get as clear a picture of who God is as we can. And one of the gifts of Jesus is that he actually reveals to us the mystery of God. Now, the reason I say that is because an early follower of Jesus himself said it. The Apostle Paul, who was an early follower of Christ, wrote down these words almost word for word about the mystery of God. And this is where I want to take you this morning to an early letter that he wrote to a church in Colossae. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Um, you can look it up on your phone. Um, you can look it up on your friend's phone. You can look over your friend's shoulder. I don't think we have Bibles to give you this morning. That's because we're not in our normal location. But hopefully you can find Colossians chapter 1. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible. And we're going to begin at verse 24 and go for a couple of verses into the next chapter. So Paul is writing, just to keep in mind, um, he's in prison. Um, so this makes sense, makes sense what he says at the beginning of verse 24, as you remember that this guy's in prison. Here we go, verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become the servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ 
in you the hope of glory. Uh, let's pause it right there. I'm going to take these four verses together at one time and hopefully try to work with them a little bit and hopefully bring some encouragement to you. So the good news is that the mystery of God that has been hidden from generations and ages upon ages is finally disclosed. Verse 26 says that. And what is a mystery? A mystery is simply this. It's something that's hidden and is now revealed. Something that's hidden is now revealed. So how does God work? What is he like? Certainly in the Old Testament, there are ways of understanding God. It's not as if God has been totally silent. But there are ways and means that God works with people and works with our own sin and failure that has not been as clear, nearly as clear, as it was when Christ came. And so all of a sudden, what has been held in some kind of mysterious question for ages and generations past, what does salvation actually look like? When the Messiah comes, what will he be like? How will he engage people who are sinful? What will this look like that God himself will come to earth? And this is where Paul begins, verse 27. We'll read that again. He says, To them God has chosen to make known among you, the gent among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Two things about this mystery. Number one, number one, is that Christ is the mystery of God revealed. That Christ, if you want to know, and here's, here's part of the mystery, two parts revealed. If you want to know what God is like, what Paul is saying is look at Christ. Look at Christ. So the mystery, which is Christ, he says. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What that means, what does that mean? If you want to know what God is like, look at Christ. Let's, let me push this down a little bit uh, in, into practical terms. If you want to think about how does God deal with sinners? How does God deal with sinners? What we do is we look at how does, did Christ deal with sinners? Some of you know, oh goodness, there's a multitude of stories, but there's a story of a woman who was caught in adultery, and the religious leaders were all around her. And we're, we're demanding that Jesus really call her to account and ask them a hard question, what should you do with this woman? With the assumption being, let's judge her. It's like an ancient, almost a, an ancient like a witch trial or whatever, like, hey, this woman is certainly guilty. Let's, you know, let's condemn her. Let's condemn her. Let's condemn her. And if you know the Bible, here's, you may know this. Here's what Jesus said. He said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone here. How does God interact with people who are sinners? Very important. How does God interact with people who are sinners? Does he first come to condemn you? Does he first come to, to hang you up for your pain? Jesus, with great regularity, engages sinners with kindness, mercy, compassion. Second, third, fourth, tenth. So how does God engage your sin? When you look at your life right now and you feel like the reason that I'm here is probably because of something that I've done before and I, I've never apologized for these people for what I've done and, and the results of my sin are following me. So certainly, because I don't know all of how the world works, certainly God must be punishing me. Well, I have to ask the question, how do you know how God works? The answer, you look at Christ. How did Christ work? How does Christ engage sinners? Over and over and over again, we see Christ engaging sinners with kindness, mercy, protection. Let me ask this question. How did Jesus deal with the most religious people? You ever feel like some people who are the most religious can kind of be aloof and set aside and apart from, righteous and holy, and there's other people who are not? You ever kind of get agitated with that? I have. Christ did. 
Over and over, we see Jesus engaging the religious leaders and calling them things like a brood of vipers, <laughs> whitewashed tombs, meaning like you are the representation of death, of spiritual and religious death. You're just whitewashed. You're not even solid underneath. You're just whitewashed. How does God deal with people who try to put religion in front of people so that people will jump through the hoops of religion? How does God look at that? The mystery is solved. Look at Christ. Christ calls that out without apology, with strength. This is wrong to do that. What does Jesus say is the most important command, for example, for his followers to follow? I mean, some people are hung up on the Ten Commandments being in our schools, for example. Was Jesus, did Jesus ever go around saying, thou shalt resurrect the Ten Commandments? What was the command that Jesus said? Over and over again, finally he said, a new command I give to you, love one another. By this they'll know that you're my followers. Love one another. He says, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled through this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. All of a sudden, God, through Christ, reveals to us a mystery of how to handle the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. No longer do we need to hold people into religious account to make sure that they're doing all of the right things. He says, all of this Old Testament stuff is hung on, leads to and comes from this command to love. And so all of the external is now pushed internal. So how do I know if I'm doing all the right things for God? What if I watch something I shouldn't watch? What if I say something I shouldn't say? A generation ago, some of us couldn't get tattoos, for example, right? Because that in the Old Testament was, was outlawed. Some couldn't go to, to movie theaters, or we interpreted God's ethics to be certain clothes or colors or styles or musical instrumentation was wrong. But what does God say through Christ? A new command I give to you, love one another. Not that we still can't be sensitive and kind to each other's preferences. Not that I still shouldn't be thoughtful of how what I'm wearing impacts you or what I'd listen to, how that might impact the people around me. But that is out of love, not duty, to jump through the religious hoops of the Old Testament, for example. How does God want us to interact? Christ has said, a new command I give to you, love one another. Who did Jesus say that he came for? So important. Oh, Jesus said this, and I love it. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It isn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So if you and, and I claim to be a follower of Jesus, then what I've had to acknowledge at some point is that I am sick. I need help. God came not for the healthy, but the sick. What did Jesus say his mission was? To seek and to save the lost. How does, how does Jesus interact with the most vulnerable? Not only the woman who was caught in adultery, but think about the, the woman at the well. There's a Samaritan woman who was um, ostracized socially. And she was a woman, so she was already pushed aside. Then she was Samaritan, pushed even further to the side. And Jesus, God, God, makes the choice to go meet her and go to her at the well. And give her honor and dignity and protect her, provide for her. She goes there in the afternoon, trying to be away from everybody else, looking for life. Life-giving water. And he gives her water that will never go away. The value of eternal life. Jesus interacts with the tax collectors, 
the demon-possessed, the people who are on the absolute fringes of society, the people who I might, maybe you, have had the experience of, like, I'm not sure I'd ever feel comfortable in their presence. They're too dramatic. It's too rough. It's too harsh. The things they say, the past that they have, it's too much. And what does God do? God, through Christ, comes directly to the people who seem to be the most marginalized of society and says, it is to these people that I come. It's amazing. It's amazing. What did Jesus teach us about who gets into heaven and how? (laughs) Nailed to the cross, if you remember this story, nailed to the cross, one of the thieves to Jesus' side communicates faith in him and Jesus says to him what? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you don't need to, and you're not even able to get off the cross and make your past better. But it is through your faith in Jesus that you have eternal life. How is it that God gives you or me eternal life? Look at Jesus. It's no longer a mystery. It's been revealed. It is through faith. And Paul writes about that is by grace through faith. And so how is it that God works? What does he need from you? Does he need your ongoing obedience? Does he need you to continue to be an incredible father and mother and husband and wife and, and a strong young adult and an incredible teenager and a, and a beautiful child with just very few mistakes, always learning, always getting better so that your constant improvement will maybe someday impress him so much that he'll be willing to let you in to his heaven. Is that how salvation works? It is how it works for us socially. That's how we get respect around here, right? But it is not God's economy. God works very differently with no chance for self-improvement. The thief on the cross immediately is promised eternal life. How is it that God works for salvation? Look at Jesus. The mystery is revealed. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so this is amazing. So this is so important that, that Christ reveals the mystery of God. If you want to know how is God working in your life, how will he treat me? What do I do with my past, with my pain, with my confusion? How should I even engage with people around me? How do I deal with my own sense of disappointment over my own failures to keep my own standards? What do I do with all of this baggage that accumulates over time? Look at what God has done through Christ and how he treated people like me and people like you who are so vulnerable and carry so much weight and baggage because God has come to us not to condemn but to bring kindness and mercy. We see that over and over and over again. Now, it gets even better in my opinion. It gets even better. Um, How many of you... Uh, have experienced. We're going to do a little bit of a hand raise here, and I know we don't always raise hands, so we can do like a elbow raise, all right? No, didn't even have to go the whole way. How many of you have ever been a part of a um, like a, a special group? Let me describe it for a minute. Um, meaning a group that had special access to something, a service or an opportunity, because you paid maybe a little bit more. For example, uh, let me finish before you raise your hands. Um, uh, anyone ever get a backstage pass? to a concert. All the other concert goers were here. You had a chance to go in the back. Anyone else ever experienced um, paying or getting bumped up? Even if you didn't pay, getting bumped up from like um, a coach class seat to a business or first class seat on the airplane? Anyone ever experienced that? Anyone ever experienced 
oh, let's say, like being a member of Costco or Sam's Club, where you have to, you, not everybody gets in, but only the members, you know, get in. It's checked at the door, if you're a member or if you're not a member. Anyone, so anyone ever have that experience that so you're a part of a group? Not everybody's a part of that group. Yeah? Okay. Good. Good. Now, if we could hear your story, it would be a little bit different. But can you imagine, um, depending upon who you were and the mood you were in, how uh, incensed you might be if you're walking into Costco and they're like, hey, can I see your membership thing? You keep, there it is. Pass it and walk through. Pass it and walk through. And then the people behind you, you know they're not members. Like, that's cool. You don't need to be members. I don't need to be a member. Like, I'm paying how much a year? And you're letting people in who don't need to be members? Can you imagine how that would go for a second? How would it feel if you paid an extra 150 bucks for your concert ticket, for backstage tickets, and people came to, to bring you, and they're like, we're actually going to take everybody, but thanks for your 150. That's cool. Same for first class, business class. You pay for a little bit more. People are like, actually, is this going to be first come, first serve on this flight, but appreciate your extra dollars. It's been helpful for our airline. So, like, whoa, immediately. It's like, wait, wait. Now, listen, like, we, we, we've earned this in a way like, because we paid for it. And so I have a right to something extra because I, I paid for it. And in many ways, the Jews, because they were the chosen people of God through the Old Testament, felt like in some ways they carried a Costco card of special membership to access to God. And in fact, the temple was designed this way. On the outside of the temple, there were big walls, big walls that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And the people who don't have their Costco card are on the outside. Stinks to be them. But the people on the inside get all the benefits or curses of Costco, depending upon how you look at it. And all of a sudden, things change dramatically, dramatically in the New Testament. God takes an actual wrecking ball to the wall at the temple and knocks it down. And now all of a sudden, God has revealed Christ through the Gentiles, not the Jews. Look at the rest of verse 27, or look at 27 again. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is writing to people who are primarily Gentile, not all of them. And what he's saying is, God has chosen to come to make himself known, not through the Jews, not through the privileged people, not through the ones who've always had membership, but actually through the very ones who don't. Intentionally going out onto the highways and handing out Costco cards to people that don't have them, saying, you're all welcome to this. Giving away the things that you or I have expected were part of the benefit of paying extra and being a part of this thing. All of a sudden, it's being handed out to, to everybody, and this is kind of crazy. I, I think, and I don't know what your experience is, but I think that sometimes religious people think they pay with their morality in order to get special access to God. I don't know if you ever experienced that. I, I feel like I have. But sometimes as religious people, we feel like we, we paid our dues. I mean, listen, a lot of people sleep in Sunday mornings. Like, look at us, we're here. Look at us, we're here. I'm actually here. I'm late, but I'm here, right? I made it. I made it. And actually, I keep making it. I actually volunteer, you know? I read my Bible, you know, once in a while, maybe every day. I do a lot of praying for people. I serve, you know? And somewhere that's got to get me something, right? This is so strange in God's economy because it, it doesn't. 
Religious activities do not give me a special membership privilege into God's presence. And this is why it's so offensive to the early church to hear this, that the mystery of God is revealed in Christ and then it gets better or worse, depending on how you see it. I think it gets better. That God has actually chosen those who are outcast, those who are considered most evil, those in the Old Testament who forever, forever were unclean, if you hang with and touch and certainly can't marry Gentiles, like you'll be, be unclean. You'll be cast out. And God says, he's like, it's funny you think that way. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to reveal myself through them to the rest of you. Just to make my point, just to make my point, that it is for the sick that I have come and not the well. And if you think you're well, I'm going to send this message to you. You whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, how dare you? How dare you create a religious system that separates you from the rest of the world because it is for the lost that I have come. And it is through them, the people who are most vilified, who are the dirtiest, who are the most unethical, who seem the farthest from God, it's going to be through them that the mystery of God is revealed. Isn't that fun? That's crazy. It's crazy. But that's what God has done through Christ. And this is why it is so powerful. It's so powerful for us. You know, I've met people, uh, maybe you have too, who are overwhelmed by their, by their shame that they haven't been good enough. I get it. But it's not to those who are good enough that God comes. The church, I believe, is meant to be a collection of misfits. A collection of people who are, who are struggling with, with addictions, with depression, with anger, with insecurities who are wrestling quite honestly with what it even means to, to wonder, is God even present? How do I handle my sexual questions, right? Even identities these days, for sure. That's a major question, right? Why in the world can't the church and shouldn't the church be that space where people feel safe and comfortable, who are wrestling with all kinds of wonderings, whose views on things are sometimes so drastically different? You know, I was deeply saddened this past week to read a research poll from Lifeway Institute. Lifeway Research did a, a study revealed it uh, maybe uh, two, three weeks ago. And it was in the context of the midterm elections. But they made the, they, their research showed that of, of evangelical Christians, 50% of the people responded yes to this question. I would prefer to attend church with people who vote like me. 50%. 50% of evangelicals in North America say, yes, I would prefer that. Man, I hate that. I hate that. That should be zero percent. You know who I prefer to attend church with? Anyone who wants to know about Jesus Christ. I don't care about how you vote. I don't care about how you're oriented. I don't care about anything else. You want to know about Christ? Welcome to the absolute mess of our humanity. Because this is where God has come through Christ. To reveal to us his powerful mystery to say in the middle of all of our brokenness and all of our questions and all of our confusion and all of our pain and the shame that all of us carry and it gets expressed in weird ways and hard ways but it is through that that God says I'm going to almost in a way I'm going to shame the wise by bringing the power of Christ to the quote unquote foolish so to speak to those who everyone else pushes to the side it's amazing. Paul goes on. He's laboring for this. I want you to see how, how, what's, what's in him. He says in verse 28, 
He's like, he is the one that we proclaim. He's the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You can feel how much he wants people to understand this power. He goes on, verse 1 of chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, another town nearby, and for all who have not met me personally. And then he's clear, verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in what? In love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Again, defines it. May my hope is you can feel his contention. I want you so much to get this that you can know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And then he goes on, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In other words, conspiracy theories. As people are wondering, how do you relate to God? How do we relate to God? He said, I don't want anyone to deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Because fine-sounding arguments are just that. They sound fine. That sounds reasonable. Oh, maybe that is right. Maybe, maybe my current position is a result of my moral failure in the past and maybe it is indeed God punishing me for what I've done before. You can think that, but you, you, I would implore you, I was going to say you need to, but you don't need to. I, I would want you deeply, I would want you deeply to ask the question, what does Christ teach me about how God actually works with my stuff from the past? Does Christ, with routineness, walk through Galilee and Jerusalem and he's like, oh, you sinned in the past, boom, you're done. Hey, you're going to have problems for the next two generations because you failed to come through for me in the past. Hey, you slept around, let's stone her. <laughs> he does the exact opposite. And so the arguments that we come up with that describe our pain and our collective grief and struggle in life, we come up with reasons why God might be inter interacting and how he might be interacting, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of conspiracies about how God works. Christ reveals the mystery of God. And how Christ interacts with people is how God wants to interact with you and with me. With incredible mercy and kindness and with a draw to know him and to know the truth. Now, he finishes, verse 5. He says, for though I'm absent with you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. It's just this call, this push to say, I want you to grow in Christ. I want you to know Christ because Christ reveals God. Christ came for the, for the Gentiles to show the hope of glory to all people. And so if you want to see God, let me encourage you to look at Christ and then also look at the people who are touched by God who least deserve it. Look at the people who are touched by God who least deserve it. And in there, we're going to see the mystery of God. And so I have a couple questions for you um, that I want to encourage you to think about. Um, and then I just want to throw one more thing out and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, and these are personal to me too and I hope they're helpful to you. And I think I need to ask in light of this talk here, number one, um, is, there anyone, is there anyone that I'm comfortable judging? Is there anyone I'm comfortable judging? 
You know, who is it that's easy to judge? You say, yeah, they're, they're on the outside. Yeah, they're on the outside. Yeah, they don't fit it. They're on the outside. It's quick, it's easy, it's simple. Sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it. But is there anyone who's easy to judge? Regardless of, you know, whatever it might be. Is there anyone that's easy to judge for me? Number two, I have to ask, how's my attitude toward those who are very different than me? How's my attitude toward them? I may not feel like I'm judging them. I just want to avoid them. I'd rather hang with the people that I want to hang with. Maybe you're a part of that 50% of people who prefer to go to church with people who are just like you. Maybe, maybe. How's my attitude toward those who are different? Because God, God, through Christ revealed this incredible mystery that is through the incredible diversity, strangeness, hardness, struggle of learning to know and love each other. It is through people who many consider outcasts. It's through those very people that God reveals Christ. And then I might ask you this question. Do you know, do you know, regardless of how long you've been in church, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? That Jesus who reveals the mystery of God in these ways, who appeals to and reaches those who are far on the outside. Do you know that Jesus? Have you met him before? Can you imagine for a minute, can you imagine what a church would look like that's encouraged, as Paul said, encouraged in heart and united in love? Can you imagine what a church would look like that's full of incredible diversity? That like Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, there's no longer, he says, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And we can add a lot of things in that, those categories. Can you imagine what a church would look like that's full of absolute misfits, that's full of people struggling deeply, deeply, with a whole host of social issues that some of us would prefer to avoid right now? Because those people, they're over here, they're over there, and I'm kind of like just kind of in here with everybody that's easier to be with. It's easier to be with. Can you imagine, though, what a church would be like if we could get behind this principle? That it is God through Christ who reveals the mystery that God actually came for the sick, for those who were lost, for those who needed help, and he didn't come to condemn all of our stuff. Ah, oh, don't ever forget Romans 2.4. Don't ever show contempt for the mercy of God. It is through kindness that he leads us to repentance. Can you imagine what a church would look like that might be very different than me and very, very maybe very different than you? What does Jesus really do? Jesus isn't just a vibe or an image or an icon or someone to throw on our relationship that we hope will bless it. Jesus reveals the mystery of God. If you want to know how God works, look at Jesus. And look at the people that he's revealed himself through, which in many cases are very different than me and maybe very different than you. It's a beautiful picture of what the church of Christ can look like. And it scares me to death at the same time. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be together this morning to look at and think about this incredible power of God in reaching us in our great depravity, our sin, our failure, our deep struggles, and yet in his incredible mercy, revealing to the very people who society would say are farthest from God 
finding it a privilege and an honor somehow to, to indwell them, to take the hope of glory and allow them equal access to it, if not even greater, it feels like in some ways, but to use people who had been historically outcast to show to the world this is exactly what he means. Our past sin and failure is exactly that. It's past. And our current struggles are opportunities to let God through Christ speak to us, to move us into community with people who are equally kind, who are equally merciful, people who understand, hey, I'm sick too. Yeah, I struggle deeply here too. Yeah, I've been addicted and I am right now. Imagine what that could be like for a minute. The church where you're free and I'm free to find the mercy and grace of God through Christ. So Father, thank you for the picture of what this is. Thank you for what Jesus really does in revealing the mystery of God to us. And if we don't know that Jesus, I pray this morning that we would take that next step toward him in a conversation, in a prayer, in a journal entry, in inviting that God through Christ into our own lives. So Father, we thank you for the time we can share this morning. Pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name.